We've been looking at the Beatitudes as a portrait of Christ, which then becomes a portrait of who God is and what God uh, means to us. And we've been reflecting on this series as the upside down world of Jesus, that the values of Christ, the core teaching of what Christ is about is quite uh, contrary to the way our world often uh, operates. And this is no different than the, for the one we're looking at today, the seventh beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Uh, our world isn't really all that great at making peace and keeping peace. So it comes to us from Christ that this is a, an essential value and we are to be committed to it, uh, to our own peacemaking, regardless of what is uh, the position of our world. So blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God, Matthew 5, 9. As many of the Beatitudes, the background for what Jesus is saying are the Psalms. And here we particularly Psalm 34, 14, which ends with this unit, depart from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. So I would suggest that this statement is a good one to hold on to, Psalm 34, whatever's going on in our lives, to hear the psalmist teaching, seek peace and pursue it. Relationships at home, relationships with neighbors, relationships with work colleagues, with people in the church community, your neighborhood, Seek peace and pursue it. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying. And we'll hear from a variety of New Testament writers that they make the same sort of uh, exhortation for us. So we hear Psalm 34. Good to look at that as a whole when you have time. Remember that peace uh, in the Old Testament is the word shalom. And shalom is the well-being of the whole created order, one commentator says, the well-being of the whole created order. So shalom is not just absence from conflict, physical conflict, violence, but shalom as peace is a, is a deeper sense, a sense of harmony and of abundance that we are invited to live. So. When the psalmists talk about shalom, they're talking about something deeper than just simply uh, nonviolence. So it's holistic, harmonious living. That's the idea, and, and for the whole world. So in our day, particularly with the impact of our climate change and so on, our, our concern for the climate, our concern for the physical world as stewards of God's creation, as Genesis 2.15 writes for us, that we are to be concerned about the world and, and doing what we can to make a difference. So that's an example of shalom, harmonious living in a, in a broad way. And so whatever we can do to make a difference, that's, that's bringing shalom. So I just use that as an example. Whatever way we can add to the harmony in our world, that's, that's what Jesus is going after. So blessed are the peacemakers. So remember the Beatitudes divide into three units. There's the statement, blessed, makarios, 
you will be happy, you will be encouraged, you will be fulfilled. It's a, it's a positive statement, blessed, makarios. And then there's secondly a target group, and here the target group is peacemaking. So each of the Beatitudes, there's a different target group. Here we have those making peace. Making peace, interesting that this, this word is the only time it's used in the entire New Testament. It's, it's, it's unique. And it has to do with a reine, peace, and poiao, making. So it's just literally peacemaking. And we are invited to engage in that. And so peacemaking is not passive acceptance of whatever's coming along. Rather, it is indeed an active involvement that confronts the problem and works through to reconciliation. That's what peacemaking is about. So for example, in the first century in Rome, there was what was known as Pax Romana, Roman peace. And that meant a stopping of violence and war for much of the empire, but, but it didn't speak to harmonious living. It, it, there was a stoppage of war, but all kinds of other issues were going on underneath. So what we're looking at is deeper than Pax Romana a need for a deeper peace, to be engaged in our world so that we do indeed bring about peace, at least in some way. And I would say the suggestion here, that is if we're gonna be effective in peacemaking, then we need to be at peace ourselves. That there needs to be a measure of peace in our own world if we're gonna be able to offer peace to others. That there needs to be a sense of order at some level in our world and not chaos if we are going to uh, offer peace to other folk. Some semblance of order. So right off the top, we can ask ourselves, okay, well, am, am I at peace myself? Is there some level of shalom in my own life that I can then offer to others? And perhaps part of the problem of not being very good at bringing peace is that there's no peace within ourselves. And therefore, whatever is in us bubbles up. Somebody uses the example of carrying a, a glass of water. I have a glass of water here. And if somebody bumps me, well then, what's in this glass is gonna come out. And it's the same with ourselves. If we are at peace, then somebody bumps us, then peace will come out. But if we are in chaos and uptight and angry and worried, then most likely that's what's gonna come up. So if we're gonna be peacemakers, then there needs to be a measure of peace within ourselves. And I would suggest as Christians, and as people who have a contemplative heart, generally, regardless of where you're at, that this is encouraged through various disciplines, silence, solitude, prayer, these sorts of disciplines help us to get rooted deeply so that we carry some measure of peace that can be offered to others. Jesus was able to offer peace to others because he was at peace. And with Jesus, he did not simply react. He, he received what was going on and then decided what his response would be. I love the example early in the Gospels where Jesus and his disciples are in Capernaum and, and, he's, and he's hitting home runs everywhere. It's just amazing. There's a big positive response to him. 
And in the morning, he goes out and he prays, and later Peter and others are looking for him, and they find him, and they say, Lord, let's go back. Your people really are with you right now. The crowd's happy. And Christ's response is, well, actually, we're moving on right now. We're going to the next town. And he doesn't play to the crowd. He's prayed, he's decided what is needed, and he moves on whether his disciples are happy or the crowds are happy or his hometown, Capernaum, is happy. He's moving on. And so prayer and silence and solitude will help us make good decisions and will help us then to offer peace to others. And the, the, the epistles pick up on the same theme. I, I like this one from James. I'll pick it up in the middle. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, note, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits. We've heard of being merciful. Without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy, and note, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. So three times in verses 16 to 18, James uses the word peace, that we carry peace with us, and then we are able to offer that to others. Paul writes in Romans, do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So the, the, the New Testament writers hear what Jesus is saying, and continue to encourage us to be peacemakers. So peacemaking <clears throat> invites us to drill deep down into our world and to actively engage uh, issues where redemptive purposes need to be seen. We live in a broken society. So how can we drill down into these issues and make a difference? It is not just spiritualizing talk about God, it's making concrete differences in our world as we're able. Recently in the church, we've talked about indigenous rights, every child matters. Prior to that, we, we looked at Black Lives Matter, work for justice and freedom from oppression. These are ways of being peacemakers in a, in a concrete manner. And so what steps can we take to bring about peace, even as we know we can take steps that mess things up. But Jesus is saying, as we hear the Beatitudes, receive the Beatitudes, we're invited to be people who bring shalom where there is indeed no shalom. To seek for reconciliation for those who are alienated and estranged. I, I love what uh, Muyo and Patricia are doing with the, uh, their ministry to folk from West Africa in terms of education. And they have a, an office set up right here in, in Weston, just down from where Frontlines was. And their, their whole ministry, and please talk to them about it, it's, it's, it's excellent. Their service is to folk from West Africa to help them understand the Canadian system and how to advocate for themselves how to step in and have a voice. And so to me, that is a great example of how we can bring peace, be instruments of peace, and in very specific ways, in ways that we have abilities and talents. And so Patricia particularly has taken a great interest in this area, her education, uh, 
higher education pursuing these issues, and she is able to offer much in terms of guidance, helping folk advocate for themselves and for their families. And all of this grows on the beatitude of receiving mercy and giving mercy. The beatitudes keep ramping up and we are invited then as we receive mercy to be able to bring mercy and peace to others. So I like Stott's statement, every Christian is meant to be a peacemaker both in the community and in the church. No, every Christian is meant to be a peacemaker. Everybody, our whole congregation, all of the believers in Christ in the entire city of Toronto, we are all meant to be peacemakers. And when we really embrace that, things change. So the target group here are those who make peace. And then the reward is that they will be called the children of God. God is a God of peace. And God works to our own peace through the giving of his son, Jesus, for us. Ephesians 2, 17 to 18. Paul writes, so he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. For those who are far off means the Gentile community around the world. And those who are near, Paul is speaking to the Jewish community. And God is saying that in Christ, God is communicating peace. His, his will for us is that we experience his peace. God is a God of peace, a God of shalom. And he offers us his shalom in Jesus. So it, the reward is that we might experience God's shalom and indeed that we are then to emulate that and give that shalom to others. That we become children in God's kingdom. We become citizens in his kingdom. And part of our job is to offer this peace. And we do so because we are children of God. No, note how the promises start ramping up. So for example, in verse five, we are told, if you give mercy, we receive mercy. If we are pure, we see God. If we seek shalom, we become his sons and daughters, his children. So it, it ramps, mercy, see God, become his children. These are the, the promises that God is giving to us. That we might know him and experience his peace. And so this is an incredible promise. That we become children of God. That we become part of God's family. That God is our heavenly parent, father and mother. God for us. And we then become his children. So just as we are concerned for our own children, God is concerned for us. We are invited to claim our inheritance as his children. You can read that in Ephesians chapter 1. Claim it. So I, I think it's good for us to just dwell on that because God invites us and says that we can become his children. So will you believe that? Will I believe that? Will we claim that? He says it. So if he says it, can we not believe it? Well, we can believe it. We can receive his promise that we are indeed his children, now and forevermore. That if we know Jesus, the best thing that could possibly happen to us has already happened. 
So can we value and treasure the fact that we are God's children? We are his sons and daughters, his daughters and sons. So the invitation is to hear that and receive it, to hear and receive God's word. It comes to faith, to have faith in that, to say yes to this reality and then to enjoy it, to enjoy our relationship with our heavenly parent to be engaged with God, to know him day by day. This is what Jesus is saying, and he's going to go on to say that all through the gospel, all through the gospel of Matthew, that God is our Abba, our Amma. He is there for us as our loving parent, and he loves us so much that he wants us to be with him forever, to enjoy that reality, enjoy that relationship. And I think one thing that can help us here and a challenge that we have to face that I think as moderns, as modern Christians, there is a tendency to separate the transcendence of God from the imminence of God. And what that means is, you know, we may not have a hard time believing that God is creator of the universe. That's his transcendence. He's the magnificent one who is a universe maker, transcendent. But the scriptures also reveal God to be imminent with us, walk with us, right, right from the garden, walking with Adam and Eve, all the way to Revelation where God will, will come down and dwell with his people, imminence. And imminence means that God is near to us. He is near to us in Jesus. He's near to us through his Holy Spirit who dwells within us which means he is active in our world and he's active in big ways and in little ways. So the God who recognizes the whole universe is also the God who creates the flowers and the birds and the, just the tiny little things and takes an interest in all of what he has created and is doing. So look to him and trust in his guiding hand to get away from this idea that God is only interested in the big things and he's not interested in my life really. That's a falsehood. We may think that's logical, but that's not the way the scriptures present it. God is with us. He will never leave or forsake us, and he's actually interested in your life, in the details of your life and my life. Will we accept that reality or not? I think we face this challenge as we understand the universe more and more and more in terms of its physical realities, we start distancing ourselves from God who is actually the creator of it all. So as we close then, we circle back to our personal sphere. How do we seek peace and pursue it? Psalm 34. How do we become peacemakers? How are you being a peacemaker? Let's say in your family, right in your immediate family. How are you pursuing peace right there? And one challenge we do need to note is that when we are under pressure, when we feel deprivation of any sort, it's harder for us to extend peace because we just focus on ourselves. So we have to recognize that in stress situations, I don't always act my best. And so we need to pause and reflect, how am I still offering peace 
in these realities, instead perhaps of lashing out and becoming angry and wanting revenge. Seeking peace between others is challenging work. It's hard work. And at times it can seem futile because things don't change very much. Seem to keep pushing up the big boulder up the mountain as Atlas of old did. Seems to be where we're at. But nevertheless, Christ is the Prince of Peace. And as his children, we have the ability to offer peace to others and experience peace. Peace is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. And so may we know his peace, God's peace, Christ's peace, the Spirit's peace in our lives, be able to offer that to others in in whatever ways we can, and to carry on with the energy of the Spirit in our lives and in our church. Beekner writes, for Jesus' peace seems to have meant not the absence of struggle, but the presence of love. I like that. We may feel challenges and struggles, part of living in a tough world. But even in that reality, we can offer love. And when we offer love, we're offering peace. So may we offer Christ's peace to others. May they see Jesus in us. May we work for God's kingdom, whatever way we can. In Christ's name I pray, amen.